0: Welcome to Wellness Your Way. I'm your host, Megan Lyons, and I've helped thousands of people find their own way to wellness. Wellness Your Way is an extension of that work, aimed to help you find your unique path to feeling your very best. Each week, we'll go through tactical strategies you can use to improve your health, happiness, and quality of life. So grab a mug of tea or lace up your walking shoes. We're about to dive in. Welcome back to episode 26. Thanks for bearing with us as we took a little break last week. There is so much going on in the lion's share world. So I hope you were able to catch up on your podcast episodes or maybe re-listen to a favorite episode from the previous 25. We've got a brand new, great lineup for you today. And it starts with a memory. I remember very clearly when my family switched over to wheat bread. My mom always tried really hard to keep us healthy. And I'm sure we complained about the switch, but she was doing what she thought was right. So now, 30 years later, was that actually right? We're going to talk all about wheat bread's health halo in the veggies of the matter today. But first, we'll dive into a study about stress management and overeating. I will recommend a resource that helps me eat a variety of veggies and we'll get to listener Q&A. Let's dive in. It's time for health news you can use, and I am super excited about today's study. It was done by Ohio State University in this month, March of 2021. And I'm really excited about it for a few reasons. First, it is about something that impacts almost all of us, especially now. Second, it was done to help moms from the WIC program, which serves low-income mothers and young children and is a community that I believe just needs so many more resources and attention. And third, it's all about the mind-body connection, which I love talking about. Because really, health is so much more than just knowing the information. It's about doing it, implementing it. And this study proves that. Okay, so what is the study? The study took 338 moms between the ages of 18 and 39, and they monitored their intake of fast food meals and high fat snacks. And they were also simultaneously teaching the moms about stress management. Just simple things like taking deep breaths to counter the feelings of overwhelm or keeping charts to keep track of tasks and celebrate completion. And what they found is that for every 1% reduction in stress, there was a corresponding 7% reduction in consumption of the less healthy foods. This is huge. And it kind of makes sense if you've ever said like, I really don't want to be eating the Cheetos or the chips or the Doritos, but when I'm stressed or when I'm working late or whatever, I just can't keep my hand out of the bag. This is exactly that. And it's not that we have to have zero stress. We don't have to be stress-free to be healthy. That's not realistic. But if we reduce stress by 1% at a time we can make significant impact in our consumption of less healthy foods. And really, that's realistic. We can reduce 1% stress. That does feel doable to most of us. So think about this as a commitment to take baby steps in your stress management. Just a 1% difference makes a huge difference in your overall health. The other great thing about this study is that The group that received the stress management information by video, they just got video um, trainings, lessons, and also group coaching sessions, they were even better at reducing stress than those people who received the same information in print. So there was something about being in a group of other people that were highly motivated that were working on this together and seeing faces on video and all of this kind of stuff that made the success even better. And this got me so excited about my Revitalize Health Accelerator, which starts really soon. And I hate to even bring it up because I'm tempting you. Um, signups are officially closed, unfortunately. We're at capacity. So if you missed it, I'm so sorry. It was a very brief sign-up period. Um, but our group is amazing. This is a small group for now, and I'm going to open it up to a much bigger group in August or September. So I hope you're getting excited for that. Um, And in the meantime, you can use these strategies from the podcast and this particular strategy from the study to help you continue to work on reducing your stress and improve your health on your own. Next up is Megan Recommends. And if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see this every two weeks. This is Imperfect Foods, something that I love. I've been using Imperfect Foods for just over two years, and I love it. Basically, it's a grocery delivery service that offers sustainable and affordable produce items, and they've expanded into other groceries as well. It started two years ago when I started it, it was um, uh, called Imperfect Produce, not Imperfect Foods. And it was a way to use kind of what they called ugly produce, like slightly damaged or imperfect produce, like carrots with three heads or small apples that were too small to sell or something like that. And now it just takes surplus items from everywhere. It doesn't have to be imperfect or ugly. And honestly, the quality is really excellent in my experience. But they're still working for the same mission to reduce food waste. They do a lot of things to try to make the company more sustainable. They're committed to being a net zero carbon company. They're committed to increasing local sourcing 15% per year. It's also quite inexpensive for organic produce. I have my filter just set to all organic. um, And even still, I um, am reducing the amount that I would spend if I bought the equivalent things at a grocery store. Plus, I just feel good about using produce that otherwise wouldn't be used. Um, For me, this does not replace my trips to the grocery store. This is in addition. I imagine, depending on your needs, this could replace your trips to the grocery store. Um, I just use it as a supplement. It's also really fun. I find myself kind of looking through the menu every two weeks. I have my um, cadence set at every two weeks. That's just what works for me, but you can do weekly, monthly, whatever. So I'm looking through the menu every two weeks and I'm trying new things that I otherwise wouldn't pick up at the grocery store, which is great. You know, We all kind of get in our rut of like broccoli, cauliflower, zucchini, or whatever your rut is. But I want to fill out my cart in Imperfect Foods or Imperfect, yeah, Imperfect Foods with a bunch of different things. So it helps me try more variety. Uh, You can customize your order, you can skip weeks, whatever you want. And I have a $20 off discount code for you that I will put in the show notes if you'd like to give Imperfect Foods a try for yourself. It's time for the veggies of the matter, and I'm gonna tell you about a scene that I dread. Here's the scene I'm celebrating with a one to one client. She's had a great week. We're always celebrating the wonderful things that my clients do first. So we go through five or six different amazing things that she's done, and we're feeling really positive. And then once we finish celebrating, I say, Oh, I noticed you had a sandwich on Tuesday. How did that bread make you feel? Did you notice any energy slumps or brain fog or cravings? And it's kind of obvious that I'm hinting that the bread might be causing these things. But the client quickly rushes in. She's like, oh, no, that was wheat bread. Oh, I didn't write that down. It was wheat bread. Sorry. And then I have to be the bearer of bad news that wheat bread is not always as deserving of the health halo that we give it. So while I hate to be the bearer of bad news, I also love sharing good quality, well-researched, highly impactful information. And so that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to take the health halo off of wheat bread. So if you love wheat bread, I'm sorry. Doesn't mean that you can't have it ever. Absolutely not all things in moderation. Balance is the name of the game, but I want you to know all of the facts. And so I'm going to start with telling you about um, why wheat bread has this health halo. First of all, let's talk about white bread. So white bread became popular all the way back in the 1920s when the bread slicing machine came about, and consumption just went up and up and up and up and up until 2009, when for the first time, wheat bread consumption surpassed white bread. So that was about the time when we realized that many of our health issues were resulting from overconsumption of white bread. And we blamed it on the white part. We thought that it was because the white bread was causing issues. And we thought that switching to wheat bread would be the answer to all of our problems. And so here's where that story comes in that I hinted at at the beginning at the intro segment. I remember distinctly when my mom switched us over to honey whole wheat bread. It was a yellow package called Home Pride. And I've looked it up right now. The second ingredient is high fructose corn syrup. So that just gives you a head start. The first ingredient was refined enriched wheat flour. Um, And uh, I remember switching over to that. I'm sure we complained to my poor mom who was trying to do the right thing for us. And um, she thought that was it. And, And that was it. So I am not saying here that wheat bread is less healthy than white bread. What I'm about to say is that the problem that we were thinking in 2009 was white bread, the problem was just bread. It wasn't that it was just white bread and that wheat bread solves all the problems. The problem was that it was just bread. But still, um, my mom was doing the right thing by switching us over to that honey whole wheat bread, even with the high fructose corn syrup in there. So um, what's the advantage of wheat bread? Why was she doing the right thing? First of all, it does have more fiber. It does have more nutrients. It uses the whole part of the grain, the bran, the germ, the endosperm. All of these things contain nutrients and white bread only uses the endosperm, which is just the starch. So wheat bread will technically spike your blood sugar slightly less than white bread. It will keep you slightly fuller. It will provide slightly more nutrients. So this is a welcome change. It's just that wheat bread is still not a health food. So I'm going to go through several reasons here why wheat bread is not necessarily a health food. The first one is the gluten. Gluten is inflammatory. And based on the abundance of gluten-free products all over the supermarket shelves, you probably could have guessed that already, but most people don't actually know what gluten is. Gluten is a name for the proteins found in wheat. So, all wheat has gluten. It's impossible to have gluten free wheat bread. A lot of people will say, Oh, I had wheat bread, it was gluten free. That's impossible because wheat contains gluten, the essence of it is gluten. It is possible to have gluten free whole grain bread or something like that, but not possible to have gluten free wheat bread. So, gluten is a name for the proteins found in wheat, and it's not just a buzzword. It actually causes inflammation in up to 70% of people. um, And this is celiac, this is not including those who have celiac disease. Celiac disease impacts 1% to 3% of people. Um, then non-celiac gluten sensitivity impacts up to 70% of people. So there are tons of potential impacts um, on of the inflammation from gluten, everything from bloating to brain fog to skin issues to leaky gut, autoimmune conditions, neurological conditions, In the blog post um, that I will link for today, and in fact, I'll include a separate link to a blog post that I wrote called What's the Hype with Gluten-Free Diets? That blog post will tell you all about Uh, gluten, its health detriments, things like that. So head over to that blog post, which is linked in the show notes here. Um, And a lot of times when I start talking about the inflammation from gluten, people might ask why their grandparents didn't worry about gluten. A lot of it is consumption levels. So wheat flour is literally in tons of things right now from ice cream, to cereals, to salad dressings, to soup, to protein bars, all of this kind of stuff contains wheat flour. It's not just bread. We're using wheat flour. We, as in food manufacturers, are using wheat flour in an abundance of products these days. So a little bit of inflammation from a piece of bread every once in a while in your grandparents' day is a lot different than having that inflammation 15 times per day because it's in everything you're eating. And also the wheat Uh, grain that we're using today contains a much more inflammatory type of gluten than the wheat did 60, 80, 100 years ago. There are studies, which I will link, that show that the um, older, what we call ancient grains, the older varieties are significantly less inflammatory and significantly healthier for you. And this is because of Um, some of the farming methods and things like that that we are incorporating today. So that's the first reason is the gluten. The second reason, even if we um, didn't have gluten in our wheat flour, flour made from grains overall spikes our blood sugar significantly. So hopefully you have listened to the podcast episode that I did about keeping blood sugar stable And you might have known from that podcast or otherwise that any grain-based flour really, really spikes that blood sugar. One general metric that we can use to tell how much the blood sugar will spike is something called glycemic index. And people never believe this when I say it. So I'll link to a Harvard Health um, uh, article in the blog post for today that shows that the glycemic index of table sugar, like literally that white sugar that we used to keep in bowls on the table, that has a glycemic index of 65, but wheat bread, whole wheat bread is 74 higher, which means that whole wheat bread spikes your blood sugar more than just putting table sugar into your mouth. This is bananas and this is because the flour is pre-digested. It's ground down. Our body has to do no work to just make that sugar immediately hit the bloodstream, and that's not a good thing. So any grain ground into a flour spikes our blood sugar significantly, and wheat flour is, or wheat is a grain. So that's the second reason I avoid wheat flour. The third reason is the uh, commercial processing methods and and farming methods that we're using today cause it to be unhealthy. So a lot of people go to Europe, they end up enjoying some pastries or pastas or something, they feel fine, and then they do the same in the U.S. and they feel bloated and lethargic. And this is because of the U.S. farm-based or U.S.-based farming practices Here's a quote from the book Food Fix. It says that wheat flour is sprayed with toxic herbicide, the toxic herbicide glyphosate right before harvest, then preserved with calcium propanate, which has been linked to behavioral issues, headaches, and stomach inflammation. Glyphosate is in so many of our crops and it is directly linked to gluten sensitivity. So it's kind of like a vicious cycle. As you eat more wheat with glyphosate, you become more likely to have gluten sensitivity Um, this spirals downwards very quickly. And also the hybridization methods that we're using on our wheat are causing um, the grain to be a lot less healthy for us as consumers. So that's reason number three. Reason number four is a lot of other flour options have more nutrients. So coconut flour, almond meal, all kinds of other alternative flours have higher omega-3 content, higher protein, higher healthy fats, higher vitamin E. There are great benefits from some of these other flours. The fifth reason is that wheat flour is high in phytic acid. Phytic acid is called an anti-nutrient because it inhibits some of the absorption of minerals like iron and zinc and calcium. And all grains and and nuts and seeds and legumes, they all have some phytic acid, but it's also um, often neutralized in the cooking methods. For example, the way that beans were traditionally cooked would be soaking them overnight and then pressure cooking them. And in doing so, the phytic acid content is neutralized. Same thing with wheat. Before, we used to soak the wheat, ferment it, ferment the bread, let it rise, all of this kind of stuff. That would neutralize the phytic acid as well. But today, the bread that's in the supermarket is very rarely soaked or sprouted or fermented. And so the phytic acid content is high and can be detrimental. The last reason here why I avoid wheat flour is that most things that contain wheat flour are already unhealthy. So here's the bummer. Most things like breads and cookies and pastas and cakes that have wheat flour in them are just not health foods to begin with. And this doesn't mean that I think you should never have wheat flour. Like I said before, all things in moderation. If it works for your body, all things in moderation. But if you're choosing on a regular daily basis to limit your wheat flour, it can just help make it easier to choose mostly healthy foods. So if a dressing, salad dressing, has wheat flour in it, it probably also has sugar and preservatives and other things that pull it far away from how we think of a healthy dressing. So it's just an easy way. Okay, look at the label. Does it have wheat flour? Ah, that's not for me. I'm going to choose another option. It can just be an easy little trigger to help you choose more healthy foods overall. And then every once in a while, if you just want to dive into that cupcake made with wheat flour or whatever... I say, go for it. This is totally fine. It's a choice that you're making for your emotional health and not your physical health. And that's okay every once in a while too. So I have so many resources about my favorite gluten-free substitutes, um, tips on how to go gluten-free, all kinds of things like that. And I will post them all in the show notes for today's episode. But I hope that helps give a little insight into wheat flour. Next up, it's time for listener Q&A. Two great questions, as usual. The first comes from Jenny. She says, I loved the blood sugar post you did recently. Thank you, Jenny. I remember a while back you posted about keto. Does this make you think, did this, the blood sugar post, make you think differently about keto? Great question, Jenny. The answer is kind of yes and kind of no. So the blood sugar experiment definitely made me reduce my intake of some things that I found were spiking me a lot. Like I used to regularly consume these gluten-free ginger snaps, and I kind of knew in my gut that they weren't the healthiest thing, but uh, they snuck in a little little bit more than I probably would have liked to admit. And when I saw that spike, the um, uh, blood sugar monitor helped me cut those out or realize that those weren't really my priority, so I'd be better off with another option. And it honestly did initially make me reduce my intake of healthy foods like fruit, and sometimes I'll make a breakfast hash with like a quarter of a sweet potato in there, things like that I initially cut out. But I have lots of mixed feelings about this. I can be a perfectionist, and trying to go for perfect blood sugar is not always helpful if it comes at the expense of otherwise healthy foods. The ultimate goal of everything in health is not to have perfect blood sugar. It's important not to have those significant spikes, but if some blueberries raise my blood sugar a little bit and I'm balancing them with protein and healthy fat, do I still think it's the right decision to avoid them altogether? Honestly, I don't. And I definitely don't think that full-on keto where people restrict even veggies like Brussels sprouts and zucchini and things like that. I don't think that's a healthy option long-term unless you're dealing with a chronic condition like epilepsy or cancer or schizophrenia or Parkinson's all have great research um, linked to going more strict keto. So in that case, I might feel differently. But for me, I'm going to maintain my veggie healthy lifestyle with lots of protein, healthy fats. And a a sprinkle of anything else nutritious that I enjoy, like berries or a little bit of sweet potato here and there, chocolate, of course, here and there, something like that. So as always, I think the right answer for you depends on your goals, but that's a little insight into how I've been thinking about it. Second question comes from Carmen. She says, how do you wake up so early every day? And this question came from Instagram, where I post a little motivational quote from my pepper planner, my morning routine. Every single morning. Um, And Carmen, I have a lot to say about this. I'll post a link in the show notes to my blog post called How to Supercharge Your Morning Routine, which gives a lot of tips there. The short answer is three things. Number one, it's a commitment to myself. And you can listen to an earlier episode. I think it was maybe around episode five or six or so that talks about uh, having a, a healthy commitment to yourself. So when I decide I'm going to wake up at 4.30 tomorrow or 4.50 or whatever time, it's not like, oh, I really hope I wake up at that time. No, I'm going to do it. It's a commitment to myself, and I take that incredibly seriously. I take a commitment to myself just as, as seriously as I would take a commitment to someone else. So I don't question it. I don't snooze. I do just do it to use the um trite Nike phrase, but it really applies in this case. That's number one. Number two is to look forward to it. I know how I'll feel if I snooze through my morning routine and then just get a rushed start to the day and skip my workout and feel like I'm behind the eight ball right from the beginning. And I will not feel good if I do that. And I also know how I'll feel if I prioritize my morning routine, which is more positive and energized and like I took some time for me before a 12-hour workday. I feel – so much better when I do that morning routine. So I'm really looking forward to it. I keep my reading till the end because reading is my favorite part personally. Um, So I'm looking forward to it through the whole thing, but I'm just genuinely excited about it. And then the last thing that I'll mention here is to prioritize sleep the night before. So I go to bed by 9:30 every single night because I know I need my sleep and I won't wake up feeling great if I get uh, a, a small amount of sleep. So, I just prioritize it. I I shut things off, work or fun or whatever I'm doing and I prioritize that sleep, which absolutely helps. Thanks for your great questions. It's time for a call to action where you get to take action on what you've learned this week. And your call to action is to look for an item with wheat flour in your pantry. Find one item and try to replace it with a healthier option. You can always tag me on Instagram to share which products you're replacing. I would love to celebrate you and cheer you on through this. And I hope you enjoy finding healthier options. Thanks for listening to another episode of Wellness Your Way with Megan Lyons. I always love connecting with listeners, so be sure to follow me on social media. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss brand new episodes each week. If you love Wellness Your Way, please leave us a rating and review. I appreciate it so much. Stay well, and I'll be back next week. The Wellness Your Way podcast is provided for information only and should not be misconstrued as medical advice. Please consult with your physician or otherwise qualified practitioner on any matters regarding your health and well-being or on any opinions expressed within this podcast or the Lion Share website.